0: Bow with me. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can know you and be called by the name that is worthy. God, we confess that our lives often don't align with the worthiness of the name by which we've been called. And we pray, God, that you would give us attentive ears today. Give us ears to listen to your word and to hearts to heed your word. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold the wonderful things in your teaching and spirit of God, that you would illumine your word and apply it in such a way that we would uh, live more like Christ and endeavor to honor him more as a result of having been here, for your name is indeed worthy of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue in our series through the book of Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, and if you are new to North Roanoke, we, we just generally work our way through books of the Bible, and we've been in Acts for a while, it's it's a lengthy book, 28 chapters, um, and as we come to chapter 22, Paul is sort of winding up his third missionary journey, and he's just rolled back into Jerusalem, and he's been arrested by Roman authorities, and he has asked for an opportunity to speak to the Jewish crowd that, that was the impetus for his arrest, the initiators of his arrest, and they were accusing him of bringing, bringing a Greek man or a Gentile into the inner portions of the temple, which would, would have been punishable by death, and so uh, they get up in arms, and they're beating Paul, and the Roman authorities come in in order to try and stop it, and, and Paul gets an opportunity to speak to the Jewish crowd that had just been beating him up, all right? And, and what we're going to consider today is Paul's defense of himself against the charges and his testimony of how he discovered that Jesus isn't contrary to the Jewish expectation, but he is the fulfillment of of it. And in offering this defense of himself, Paul is implicitly going to be urging them to reconsider themselves and who they think Jesus is and to, instead of rejecting Jesus, to to follow Jesus. We're going to consider verses 1 through 22, and we're going to do so in in segments. So hear with me the word of the Lord. We're going to read down through verse 5 to start, okay? Brothers and fathers. Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. The first thing I want us to see in verses one through five, modeled for us in Paul's life, is that Paul establishes common ground with those that he is endeavoring to speak the gospel to. He he establishes common ground, and, and the way that he establishes common ground is by showing them that he had in common with them a Jewish background. Prior to encountering Christ, uh, he knew what it was like to be a Jew, right? And in verse 1, Paul addresses this raucous crowd, this crowd that had been beating him up with with disarming language. Remember, these are people who've who've had him arrested, they've beaten him up, and what does he call them? Do you see it in verse 1? He doesn't call them thugs and rabble-rousers. He calls them brothers and fathers. Now, these are not his brothers in Christ, but they are brothers by their sharing in Jewish blood. Some of them are like fathers apparently because they're older than Paul and would have been in Jerusalem and around Judaism longer than Paul. And so Paul, who's just been beat up by these people, says brothers and fathers. He's trying to establish common ground. And then Paul asked them to hear him out. Hey, hear me out. Hear my defense. And the, and the word defense here is the Greek word apologia. You can probably hear the word apologetics in that, to make a defense for something. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we are told to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for any reason for the hope that is within us yet to do it with gentleness and respect. That's what Paul is doing here. He's being gentle to those who have not been gentle with him. Brothers and fathers, hear me out. Hear hear my defense. It's a defense that's made carefully and with gentleness and respect. To defend the gospel and the hope that he has in it, what what does Paul do? First, he tries to convince these Jews that he's for them and not against them. In verse 2, Paul continues addressing them in Hebrew. He keeps talking in their heart language. And the longer that he goes in Hebrew, the the more they pay attention. They get even quieter. He's speaking to the heart from the language they best understand. This this crowd has been shouting at him, and now they are virtually silent. And sometimes when I'm preaching, there's there's a silence that comes over the crowd that is good because you're leaning in and you're listening. And other times, there's a silence that comes over the crowd that means you're sleeping. So, so I hope your silence this morning is more the former and not the latter, but there's there's this leaning in quietness among the crowd. He's he's got their attention. God is giving them yet another opportunity to consider Jesus, and Paul opens up by identifying with them. Look at verse 3. Not only is Paul a Jew, but he was brought up or nurtured in Jerusalem. Although he was born in Tarsus, his roots are really Jerusalem roots. He was raised up right there in the heart and the hub of Judaism. He goes on to stress that it was at the feet of Gamaliel that he had been educated. Peterson writes, Gamaliel was a, a Pharisaic educator, teacher of the law, and member of the Sanhedrin who had been respected by all the people. We saw that back in Acts five thirty four. Indeed, Gamaliel was arguably the most significant and influential educator for Jews in the first century A.D., so, Paul wasn't just a Jew. He wasn't just familiar with Judaism in the temple. He was educated by like the head educator of Jews in Judaism in that time frame. And Paul didn't just take Gamaliel's introduction course, right? Some of y'all go to college and you had to check a box, you, know, like you had to have something in the arts, so you took the easiest survey of the arts class that you could. Nobody? Man, when I was at Tech, I had to have I had to get a box checked in the arts, and I was just not interested, you know. Um, but there was a there was a survey of music class that I heard was was easy, and they were right. It was very easy, and you could not study and pass. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Did you know they have classes like that at Tech? I'm sorry, Paul. It's true. Uh. That that's not what Paul did, right? He went deep into the things that Gamaliel was teaching. He was trained according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. He excelled in studying and living out not only the laws of the Old Testament but even the laws added by the Pharisees. He got into the minutia of the law and he loved it. He saw it as the law of their fathers verse 3. In other words, he felt this great power of connection to their shared traditions as Jews down through the generations. Here's, here's Paul's point to the crowd, right? As he's establishing common ground with them. Look, you can look out over this crowd and you won't find anyone more committed as a Jew or to Judaism and Jewish law and tradition than I was. I'll put my Jewish credentials up against anybody, is what Paul's saying. And that's what he says at the end of verse 3, right? I was every bit as zealous for God as those of you in the crowd are today. And of course, Paul is building to a point, right, where he wants to show them that not all zeal is created equally. Zeal, meaning energy or enthusiasm in the pursuit of a cause, can be misguided. These Jews thought that they were aimed at God, they thought they were on the path to get to God, but their zeal was actually on a path of ignorance and self-righteousness. It'd be like trying to take a it'd be like having a zeal for hiking mountains, but only taking a trail that leads to the ocean. They were they were zealous. We're gonna to get to God, but their path would never lead them to God. And so in Romans chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, Paul says this I bear them witness, he's talking about Jews who are not receiving Christ. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. They're not on the right path. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They, they missed the point that the law was leading them to Christ. But Paul isn't ready to tell them that their zeal is misguided. Instead, he's going to allow his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus to demonstrate that to them. For now, he wants them to know, he understands them, that they have something in common. He's been where they are in the extreme. For in his zeal, look at verse 4, what did he do? He persecuted this way. What way? The way of Christianity to the death, binding and delivering both, uh, delivering to prison both men and women. In other words, it was comprehensive persecution. In a Jewish zeal contest, Paul would surely win. He had persecuted the way to death. He had stood by and overseen the stoning of Stephen. He had persecuted Christianity throughout uh, the region, delivering to prison men and women. And Paul did these things because he was known at the highest levels of Judaism, right? Verse 5, what does he say? If you don't believe me, go ask the high priest. Go ask the elders. They still know about what happened. They still know that they're the ones that gave me the permission to do this, In verse 5, Paul reminds them that he had taken the initiative in asking for letters to even go to Damascus and bring Christians back to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul essentially had been a a one-man wrecking ball to Christianity. He tried to chase down Christians and eliminate them wherever they were before Christianity could take hold and be established and endure. Paul understands his crowd he knows their zeal, he knows their law, he's a Jew, he knows what it's like to think that Jesus and his followers are a threat to everything that they hold dear. So what does he begin to do? He begins by helping the crowd see that there's nothing about him that made him any more likely to come to Jesus than they would be. The application for us is clear, right? In a world that lashes out at those who follow Jesus, We should seek opportunities not to lash out, but to connect with people where they are and to connect where we've been with where they are so that we can explain how Jesus made all the difference. We should be able to connect where we've been with where they are to be able to explain that Jesus makes all the difference. Did you know that lost people are people? Are you a person? Did you know lost people are sinners? Have you? Been a sinner? Now you're just a safe sinner if you, if you know Christ. Have you ever had marriage difficulty? Did you know lost people have marriage difficulty? Have you ever had challenges raising your kids? Did you know lost people have challenges raising their kids? Have you ever struggled financially? Did you know that lost people struggle financially? Paul is giving us a master class in just identifying with people. Hey, I've been where you are. I know what it's like to be where you are. I am going to tell you in just a moment about somebody who made all the difference in my life because he showed up in my life on the road to Damascus. But he starts with establishing common ground. And and some of you, you got lost people all around you. You just need to establish some common ground. I was at Brewster's last night. There was a guy in line ahead of us, and he was dressed really nice, African-American gentleman. And uh, I'm just curious about this guy. Like, who is wearing a top hat and a and a suit to Brewster's in the freezing cold on a Saturday night. Like, why do you do that? And so, curiosity got the best of me, and I said, sir, you look awfully nice tonight. What's going on? And he was like, well, I appreciate you asking. My wife and I are celebrating our 45th anniversary. They were out to get ice cream together, and his wife was in the car with the heat on, right? <laughs> that, that allowed us to have a little bit of a dialogue. We didn't get all the way to sharing the gospel in, in this instance, but I, guys, you can connect with people. People are people. They're living their lives, and you can establish common ground to then create and, and allow God to give you an opportunity to share the difference that Jesus makes in a life. And that's where Paul is headed, right? Let's go to verses 6 16 As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told, all that is appointed for you to do, and since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, "Brother Saul, receive your sight, and at that very hour I received my sight, and I saw him." And he said, "The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will." to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So after Paul establishes common ground, the next thing he does is he shares his story. We can all share our story, right? We can share the story of when we encountered Christ. Specifically, Paul shares how Jesus confronted And cleansed and commissioned him to share the gospel. In these verses, Paul describes his encounter with the Lord Jesus when he's on the way to persecute followers of Jesus, which is what the crowd had been doing to him, a follower of Jesus. So Paul shares about the intense light from heaven shining around him. We saw this story first back in Acts chapter 9, and the the text is very similar here to what we saw back in Acts 9. It was it was noon and yet the blinding and radiant glory of King Jesus was so great. Verse 7, Paul falls to the ground, and then he hears the voice of Jesus asking, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which is an interesting statement, right? He was persecuting the church. He didn't think he was persecuting Jesus, but if you persecute Christians, you're also persecuting the Christ that they are united with. Paul wants to know, who in the world is speaking to me? And in verse 8, Jesus answers that he is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Paul, by persecuting Christians, was persecuting Jesus of Nazareth. He was persecuting the same Jesus who had been rejected by his own hometown and crucified by his own people, and now he's finding out that this Jesus who had been crucified is alive and well, speaking to him on the Damascus Road. Everything he said that he was and that he had come to do had been vindicated by God in his resurrection. Jesus is the ascended Lord of all. He reigns, and He rules, and He's living. And it seemed like Jesus was an inconsequential nobody, but now not even the sun shining at high noon can obscure the glory of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. And though those around Paul didn't understand the Lord's voice, Paul did. And since Jesus didn't kill Paul, Paul asked a good question. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, Lord Jesus would have been right to just vaporize Paul. Why are you persecuting me? What? I didn't realize I was persecuting you. Bam-o. Done. It's over. That's what Paul deserved. But Paul has an opportunity to speak, and he asks a good question. It's a question we should all ask, knowing that Jesus hasn't vaporized us, but he's instead given his life to to rescue us. What does he ask? What shall I do, Lord? That's that's a pretty good question. Uh, Tell me what to do. Thank you for not killing me thank you for letting me live. What do you want me to do? What does God tell him to do? He tells him to get up, go to Damascus, which which is where he was headed anyway, where he will there learn all the Lord has appointed, which means assigned or ordained for Paul to do. Did you know, God, when he gives you an assignment, he gives you the the abilities and the capacities and the, the giftedness to do that, that's what's implied in this word assigned. God has an assignment and God has a gifting for Paul to do something. So Paul, blinded by the light of Jesus, is led by the hand to Damascus to learn what Jesus wants to do through his hands. When Jesus shows up in your life, church, when you confront the reality that He is the risen and reigning and ruling all-glorious King of the universe, and you've been fighting against Him, and He gives you a, a shot at life with Him, I've got good news. He doesn't just confront your sin. That hurts, doesn't it? To have our sin exposed and confronted and to realize we've been rebelling against God. But He doesn't leave you there. He does it to cleanse you and to give you an assignment. This morning, if if Jesus confronts you with you, I don't want you to freak out. I want you to do what Paul did. What did he do? What shall I do, Lord? So, Paul is telling us his story so we would have an opportunity to encounter Jesus as he has. He wants this crowd to be likewise confronted so that they too might be converted and changed by Jesus. If Paul, before he was a Christian was persecuting Jesus, what does that mean the crowd has been doing by persecuting Paul? They also were persecuting Jesus. And yet Paul wants them to reconsider Jesus and experience the the same sort of transformation that he had when he met Jesus on the Damascus road. And, And the change that Jesus makes in Paul begins with confrontation, right? He confronts him on the road to Damascus. But as we keep reading, it proceeds to a commissioning and a cleansing. When Paul gets to Damascus, God works through a man named Ananias to restore Paul's sight. In chapter 9, all we read about Ananias is that he's a disciple, but notice what Paul adds here. He was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by the Jews in Jerusalem. In other words, he wasn't just a disciple, he was a Jew, and Paul desperately wants this Jewish crowd to see that Jesus is the Messiah and Savior. So he says, look, God used a devout Jew to lead me to his son, Jesus. And in verse 14, Ananias says, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice, hear a voice from his mouth. So here we have Ananias, a, a law-keeping Jew, seeing that the God of their fathers has orchestrated Paul's encounter with God's Son. And his Son is Jesus, the righteous one. Do you see that? I, the righteous one is, is a quotation. It's an allusion to Isaiah 53, 11. It's the one written of earlier in Isaiah 53. The prophet says this, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And the good news, church, is that peace with God is possible through His crucified and risen Son, the the righteous who came to be substituted for the unrighteous. And this is what will define Paul's life going forward. Paul is making, excuse me, God is making Paul, verse 15, do you see it? A witness for him to everyone. God is commissioning Paul to speak about Jesus, but he won't be able to do this in his own strength or one defined by his own sins. He's got to be cleansed. And so what happens in verse 16? Paul, command, Paul is commanded to rise, to get up and to be baptized as a sign of his calling upon the name of the Lord for rescue and for for salvation. Paul had to be converted. He had to be someone other than who he had been, and God had to make that change in his life through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Sometimes I I ask my son Samuel to help me write my sermons, just just to help me put the cookies on the bottom shelf and, and just make things plain and simple, and he read this passage and uh, I asked him, I said, what did, what did Paul want the crowd to know? And here's what he said, looks to me like anyone who encounters Jesus can become new, even bad people like Paul. Anybody who encounters Jesus can become new, even bad people like Paul. Isn't that good news? You see, church, we have no hope in our name. Our name is going to get us nowhere fast. But in the name of Jesus, there is access to the Father. There is hope of salvation and life eternal. In in our name, we have no authority to accomplish anything of eternal good. We can't forgive our own sins. We can't get rid of the mess that's in our lives. But if we come to Jesus because He has the name above every other name, because He's been given all authority under heaven and on earth, He can forgive our sin. And He can use us to tell others about Him. Do Do you know this King this morning? Are you living for your name and in your name or Have you been rescued by the name which is above every other name, by the King who can save repentant sinners, who can forgive your sin and then send you out to tell others? Aren't you thankful for such a Savior? This others-oriented aspect of Christianity is what ends up really upsetting the Jewish crowd. Paul is rolling through verse 16. But you see, the Jewish crowd had made Judaism about them rather than about the king that they should have been seeking. They had made it about being Jewish rather than about Jesus. They had made it about their kingdom rather than the kingdom of God, which was not to be won by military conquest and political victories, but by the sword of the Spirit of God's truth going out, and the Holy Spirit changing people from the inside out, Jew and Gentile alike, grafting Gentiles into the vine and making them one people, overspreading the globe. They they'd missed it. So let's see what happens. Verse 17 through 22. Paul says this: When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Here's the last thing I want you to see this morning from verses 17 through 22. We want to see Paul's desire to see Jews saved and Jesus' commission to reach the Gentiles. You say, what do I get out of that? Look, Paul doesn't conceal the truth of his mission so that the Jews will respect him and hear what he has to say. In other words, he identifies with the crowd, he shares his story, but he doesn't hide the cost or the truth that's inconvenient that they don't want to hear. Sometimes we so desperately want people to come to Jesus that we want to cover up the hard part and the hard part that they're going to have to confront is this it's not just about being a jew god came he sent his son for everybody and that's going to be like a in the face to everything they've assumed but he doesn't leave the hard part out and and when we share the gospel we can't leave the hard parts out in these final verses paul continues to highlight his credentials if you will as a jew in Galatians 1, 17 and 18, we, we learn that it was after three years from the, from the time of the Damascus Road encounter that he ends up back in Jerusalem. Earlier in Acts, back in chapter 9, we see Paul in this dispute with Greek Jews or Hellenist Jews who are wanting to kill him and the, the believers take him away to Caesarea and then send him along to Tarsus. And we wonder back in Acts 9, why was Paul so willing to leave Jerusalem so quickly and now we know why? Because like the prophet Isaiah centuries before, Paul had entered the temple and he had had a vision of King Jesus in the temple. Now you know some of these Jews are not very happy to hear that Jesus is the Lord of the temple. And that he fully shares in the, the glory and the rule of the God of Israel. But Paul desperately wants them to see that, that Jesus is the one they should have been seeking all along. And he, he tells them that while he was praying, he, he falls into a trance. And in this altered state of consciousness, he beholds Jesus telling him to get out of Jerusalem quickly. And why is he supposed to leave quickly? Because the Jews in Jerusalem will not accept your testimony about him. So this is fascinating to me. Who is Paul? Where's Paul? He's in Jerusalem giving a testimony to Jews and what is his testimony to Jews? His testimony to Jews in Jerusalem is that Jesus had told him that Jews would not accept his testimony to them in Jerusalem, which is an interesting place for them to be in in terms of are they going to prove Jesus right or not. You see the irony of this? Like are you going to listen or are you not going to listen? So, so Paul is giving this testimony, and, and what is Paul hoping? Why, why is he sharing this story? He's hoping that things have changed, right? That the Jews, when he was there earlier, would, would reject his testimony, but perhaps now they'll actually listen. Maybe now it will be different. Perhaps now some Jews are going to follow Jesus, the true and everlasting King of Israel. He's, he's been so hopeful for the salvation of Jews that he even tries. I, I love this. He debates with Jesus in the temple. You see this? He, he tries to get Jesus to reconsider his commission to the Gentiles, and he makes his argument about how good of an apostle he would be to the Jews. In other words, he, Paul gives Jesus his resume, which is funny to me. Like, as though Jesus didn't know all this about Paul, right? Hey, Jesus, I just want to remind you... Um, I was the one persecuting the Jews, right? So I I can identify with them. Verse 19, hey Jesus, the Jews know that I had been persecuting and imprisoning and beating believers in one synagogue after another. Then in verse 20, he adds a bullet point to his, his resume with Jesus. Do you see it? He reminds Jesus that he had been Leading the Jewish opposition to, to Stephen, and he stood by while Stephen shed his blood like a like a sacrifice in in gratitude to Christ, opening, giving even his life that the gospel would go forward. Paul went from persecutor of Jesus to proclaimer of Jesus. He went from being a murderer, a murdering a witness to Jesus, to being a witness to Jesus himself. He went from thinking the Old Testament had nothing to do with Jesus to seeing Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Who better to tell the Jews about Jesus than Paul, thought Paul. The transformation in his life was undeniable. That Jesus was alive and real and king and able to turn a life around was the only reasonable explanation for the transformation in Paul's life, and Paul desperately wanted more Jews to follow King Jesus, and it seems like Paul has a great point. But what is Jesus' answer in verse 21? Go. Go. I'm sending you away, far away to the Gentiles. Now, Paul's already been to the Gentiles. But what is implied by the word far away is that he's going to go beyond where he's already been. He's going to a world where Jews are not even a part of the population or they have no culture or influence. He's going to the, to the farthest regions of the world. And, and this is reminding us that God is taking Paul not just to Jerusalem, but to Rome. That he's got a mission that is, that is global and worldwide. Tragically, many Jews rejected their Messiah. Then they rejected Stephen's witness to the Messiah. And then they rejected Paul's witness to him as well. The the problem for those who hear about Jesus and reject him is not a lack of information. It is rather a stubborn, self-righteous, self-reliant heart. The problem for the Jews hearing Paul's testimony is that they couldn't accept that a religion they had turned into something about them was really about Jesus. They would not accept Paul's testimony about him in part because of what it implied about them. The Jews were no better than Gentiles like anyone else who was far from God. Their only hope is Jesus, and Jesus, though a king from Israel, is also king of nations, bringing people into God's family through the sacrifice of himself. To trust Jesus and accept the Bible's testimony about him, church, we've got to accept the Bible's testimony about us. What is the Bible's testimony about us? Left to ourselves, we are God's enemies. Left to ourselves, we suppress God's truth. Spiritually, we were blind and deaf and dead in our sins, refusing to see what the cross reveals. Our sin really brings death, and it really offends a holy God, and only God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, could make a way to overcome all of that and make us new. And in verse 22, when the Jews hear Paul clarify his commission, means everyone, not just all Jews, it means all kinds of people from all over the world. What do they call for? They call for Paul to be wiped from the face of the earth. Why? Their vision of God was too small. Their understanding of what it would mean to belong to God and be a part of his kingdom was too small. Their vision of their own unworthiness before a perfect and holy God was too small. They had every reason to believe in Jesus, but they stubbornly refused to accept him. And Paul tells us why in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. He tells us that their minds were hardened to the truth about Jesus. And we know this because they do exactly what Jesus said they would. They don't accept Paul's testimony. When Paul tells them that King Jesus sent him to reach the Gentiles, they just can't see it. They will not see it. One king who came from Israel, sent to rescue sinners equally in need of a Savior from all nations, it makes the king and his kingdom more important than them and their kingdom, and it's all too much but Paul is faithful. He's faithful to share the gospel against all odds and regardless of the results and leave the results to God. So this morning, the question is, will we do the same? Will we be another Paul? Will we establish common ground with lost people? Will we share our story and will we not hide the cost of following Jesus and then leave the results to God? Have you accepted the testimony about Jesus? Or are you refusing Him? Right after Paul tells us that the hearts of Jews were hardened, he doesn't leave us hopeless. Listen to what he says in closing. When one turns to the Lord, the veil of blindness is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to do what? Freedom to turn from your sin. Freedom to follow a gracious Savior and to live your life wholeheartedly for Him. This morning, I hope you will not refuse the testimony of Jesus. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. God, I pray that you would embolden these men and women, these believers, to be sharers of the gospel, God, that we would do so readily, eagerly, speedily, and that we would call men and women to turn from their sin and to trust the Savior. And this morning, if there's any, God, who need to, to follow you in obedience, who need to trust you, who need to be baptized, who need to, to lock arms with this church in sharing the good news of Christ, we pray that you would give them liberty to come As we sing in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's App Store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.